welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. Well, here's a kick in the teeth. I just spent several hours today and yesterday doing some work on today's program. I edited it. I began to transfer it to WAVE, and then it got lost in my computer, kept telling me that the data wasn't there to pull up, even though I could see the name on the screen of the document that said it was, in fact, the Audacity recording of the very program I had made. I know part of this is that my computer is probably starting to go, and the idea of having to transfer everything I have on it to something new is daunting. I'm not an expert. And uh, here I am going to begin again the program I already did and thought I had completed in advance of tomorrow, which by the time I finish it will be already tomorrow. I am relatively pleased by my equilibrium. Usually this sort of thing would send me into a paroxysms of anger, rage, sort of, you name it. But for some strange reason that hasn't happened, even though it's quite a setback. It might end up being a shorter program than the one that I originally recorded. But who knows? Let's see. So, how it all started. I mean, how it all started when I was doing the program or thinking about the program before I lost the program. It had been quite a while since my last visit to a dentist, partly COVID lockdown related and partly my own procrastination. I had one broken back tooth or at least an old filling was gone, but it didn't hurt and I didn't act. And I, I'm glad what could have happened didn't happen because it turns out it was a live tooth. But then something else elsewhere began to hurt and a lot. That pain I thought about as being a subject for this day's podcast as I had noticed, well, let's call it my seeming inability to join my pain with that of our Savior for cooperation in the work of salvation. But other things, other thoughts popped up as they do and I found myself interested in another subject. Be it as it may, the throbbing pain, however, brought me to my dentist's office. Over the years, part of my reluctance to be a good preventative dental patient is that the office I started to go to has changed ownership several times. The first dentist died shortly after my becoming a patient. Another person took over. Then a few years later, that sold. Meanwhile, though I'm not frugal by any means, the cost of just walking in the door of a dentist office has always outraged me. Similar, by the way, to going to one's veterinarian. Insurance gives very little value. Maybe you get $1,500 a year and you're paying monthly. So, well, in my strange method, I just hope that nothing will fall apart, which is a status less likely as I wend my way fully into my dotage and physical deterioration. Anyway, I conceded with my usual cowardice to my pain and found indeed that I had an infection, got it all treated, did the dreaded deep clean, and I'm in the process of having that back tooth 
root canaled and crown covered. I am now a firm believer in the cordless water pick. I am chastened and I'm out nearly $3,000. I am woman. I am strong. Hear me roar. Arr. What I noticed at the dental office shouldn't have, but somehow startled me. There was not a single male employee. The dentists and the staff were entirely young and entirely female. And I liked it. It was very cheerful. It was very accomplished. I was extremely comfortable with the atmosphere and the skill. Yet something about the absence of men jarred me and jarred something in me. Don't call me a traitor. I am a woman. I've lived a life that some would say was a feminist's life, although I didn't intend to go that direction. But what came to me is that men used to be indispensable as the other half of us that created the whole. What have men become to the society? What has our reorganization of all human hierarchies, categories of what is important or not done to us? I see a lot of it. I talk a lot about it in this podcast. A distancing from agreed truth, a common ground. Men have been emasculated since the 1960s. What do the feminists say? A woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. And yet, something even odder has happened. Women have also been marginalized themselves, neutered since one cannot be emasculated. How? Men now claim to be women, thus somehow still dominating them, as the feminist movement feared, but not in the way they feared. Men have stopped being protectors, the other half, now that they are trans, beyond women, more women than women. I'm probably not making any sense. I'll, I'll try. I, I'll try to, I promise. What came to mind, though I absolutely love the ladies in my dental office, was the C.S. Lewis phrase, warning, if you will, that we are living in a world of men without chests. I'll talk about his phrase as he specifically meant it, but my initial thought was that men have become a shadow of their former selves, so feminine that they have given up the kind of strength women never could possess, specifically the male kind of being your rock, your protection, your safety net, your complement. There is no complement to us women anymore. It seems women have purportedly adopted male strength, but men seem to have abandoned it out of a fear of accusation for the natural presence of, say, testosterone that came from God himself. How can I look to a male in a hair bun, the man bun? There's no counter to rest on, no raft to reach to. A man who is decisive or tough or traditional is considered toxic. Today's man reminds me of a scene in the time machine where the fictional version of H.G. Wells ends up in a far future and men and women look and act exactly the same, virtually waif-like reeds blowing in the wind. 
I'm not decrying having some sort of feminine softness in a man. It's a good an empathy, a sympathy, having some tenderness. That's good. And my having some I can do everything spirit as a woman is also a good. But eradicating all softness from women and all strength from men to address some modernistic urge is destroying us on every level. I can take care of myself. I have, but I have not always liked to without someone available, at least in concept, someone who supports me not in a feminine way, which is how I support myself as a woman, but with the male characteristics I lack and which they used to have. There's still all these expectations of men, but if you have emasculated them and tell them that their very manliness is an objection, what can you expect from them? A man withdraws. So, as many complain about the leaders of our church, strong stands are not taken. Virtue is variable, in fact, though on paper it seems stern and clear. Everything that was once firm, even arguably too much so, is now so flexible as to be amorphous. Sin, truth, dogma, how you have sex, with what and with whom you have sex. We used to follow rules upon which we all agreed, not those that rise up out of someone's need to be perverse and then to enforce that perversion on all of us. And when I use the word perversion, I'm not just talking about sexual stuff. I'm talking about things that simply go against the natural order. It's not just about physical characteristics. When I experience all too many today, and I think others would agree, I feel their reticence to be men. They look to you, to a woman, to take the lead. I can do it, but I don't always want someone to make me do it. I want to share the load. I want strength on the other side of me. I may not need to be protected or treated gently most of the time, but I do need to know, and I don't, that someone is there and could and would readily do those things for me. Our society has committed the effective soul murder of men, and thus, ultimately, that will be a consequence to the other half of us, women, who need the men for the wholeness, for completion. You can't expect anything of a man without a chest, without the strength of his very soul. Women, despite their great talents, my great talents, I'm a woman, I have talents, Despite those things, like running a dental office and being as skilled as any man, cannot be fully self-sufficient. What was it? It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for woman to be alone. If we keep pushing the way we are, we're going to be looking for men and they will not be there. They'll just be another version of a woman or more woman than we are now allowed to be. A gentleman. A man who is good, who conforms to great standards, who respects the other, especially woman. Again, standards which we, you and me, this society, used to agree upon. Compassion, suffering with the woman, loving with the woman. Not only are men today apparently scared of women, but of any responsibility. Taking responsibility is somehow 
insulting to women. Being a man was never the same as being a woman, and there was no problem with that. I'm not talking about cultural suppressions, which are wrong and have to be addressed and have to be addressed in a way that makes sense, like allowing the woman the vote because she's just as intelligent as the man. But that doesn't deny differences between men and women. Not being the same is not a detraction from one or the other. Having told men that they ought not be men, having told men that we women are exactly the same as them, that we can do everything that they do, that we can have the same sexual appetites, we have one truth. And then when men take women up on that claim, suddenly there's this, wait a minute, you've mistreated me. I'm not really the same as you, and you failed to protect me. So we seem to go back to what was a different truth, or perhaps the original truth, the idea that a man should be a protector of the woman and that he has an obligation to curb his appetites and that a woman is different in terms of her sexual nature. No wonder men run away from women. We tell them that we don't want them to be manly and virtuous and noble and chivalrous, but then when they're not, we tell them, wait a minute, why aren't you noble and chivalrous and virtuous? Now a little bit more toward C.S. Lewis's concept of men without chests. In our relationships today, first we're told that there are no borders socially, just like the relationship between men and women, that my truth is as good as yours until someone or some group is able to secure their truth by selective enforcement. So a teenager is forbidden to smoke because of the determination that it's dangerous, relativistically immoral, since there is no objective truth, it can't be strictly immoral, it was simply decided. But the same teenager can abort her child. Or in the new world of truth as imposed by the powerful, we can be told that a man can give birth despite the fact that that's insane. Back when Lewis was teaching and writing, two things were happening, or really had happened already. Subjectivism had replaced objective truth, that is, perception became all, and this concept of logical positivism, that we can't attach morality to an act, was in ascendance. So, here's a today example. People steal from Walmart. No, we can't call it stealing because that gives it a moral dimension. We're saying that taking something from someone is wrong and that equals stealing. We can only say that someone went into the store and they took things and they did not pay for it. That's all we can actually say. Again, a society of men and women without chests. We have what our intellect comprehends, what we feel, but there is no how things really are, just what I feel about them. So no reference to good or virtue as a general truth until I want to do something and I have the power to do it and make you do it. So people take things from Walmart in their baskets and we're not allowed to give it a moral condemnation in a world where there is no agreed upon moral reference. Effectively, moral reference is created ad hoc, 
and depending on who is carrying the biggest stick with which to blunt or cancel the other. So what happens? We don't arrest the people who take things out of Walmart. And instead, several Walmarts have to close because they can't afford the losses. The society cowers in fear to impose an old, old truth that taking something that belongs to someone else without their permission or without paying for it is theft, is stealing. We don't have the moral trunk to say, this shall not be accepted. This is not just a religious thing, a religious premise, the need for values. Lewis knew that non-Christians, pagans if you will, also pointed to the objective. Plato, Aristotle, from whom Christianity took much, but added much in the person of Jesus Christ, adding the essential ingredient, knew that there were standard values to which we all agree. But now, value is mediated purely by power. First, the populace and leaders, they posit, there's no truth. No one can impose their truth on me. Wasn't that what was said? Isn't that what's always said about abortion? Not that abortion is wrong as a general matter because you're killing a child, but because you are imposing your truth on me. Then a new powerful group or person says, my truth is the truth and punishes those whose relativistic views vary their relativistic views and presto, their relativistic truth becomes the truth. It all started very small. For example, that phrase, a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. It sounds so cute, so humorous. It's not even a good analogy. And it denies reality. We just let these lies stand because we're afraid or we think ourselves so enlightened as to eradicate natural truth. We think that we're so powerful, transhuman or posthuman, but what we're really doing is becoming inhuman or non-human, no longer willing to be in the likeness of the God who created us. These apparently innocent moments that project and promote the great lie. Here's one that happened the other day. Pope Francis met with Nancy Pelosi in a private audience at the Vatican as a prelude to her attending a climate conference. If you knew nothing about the teachings of the Catholic Church or nothing about Nancy Pelosi other than that she's a secular leader, you'd say, look at that, everybody's so happy. It's just beautiful, smiles and gifts exchanged, two Catholics, the Holy Father and a pillar of politics, but it's pretend, it's relative truth promoted as a great good. But in fact, the Pope is not only welcoming, but apparently lauding effectively a person in the United States who supports and has advocated for and legislates for the abortion of children up to the moment that they are born. What did she say about it in her press release on October the 9th? It was a spiritual, 
personal and official honor to have an audience with His Holiness Pope Francis this morning. His Holiness's leadership is a source of joy and hope for Catholics and for all people, challenging each of us to be good stewards of God's creation, to act on climate, to embrace the refugee, the immigrant and the poor, and to recognize the dignity and divinity in everyone. His Holiness's encyclical Laudato Si is a powerful challenge to the global community to act decisively on the climate crisis with special attention to the most vulnerable communities. I express the gratitude of those working on climate action in the Congress for the immense moral clarity and urgency that His Holiness continues to bring to the climate crisis and how we continue to cherish his address to the joint session of Congress in 2015. His Holiness commands our attention to honor the Gospel of Matthew by serving the least of these, lifting up those who have been left out or left behind, especially in the time of COVID. In San Francisco, we take special pride in Pope Francis, who shares the namesake of our city and whose song of St. Francis is our anthem. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace. Where there is darkness, may we bring light. Where there is hatred, may we bring love. Where there is despair, may we bring hope. She took that meeting and produced her very own truth. And there's no one with chest to say that is false. Somebody's dignity and divinity has gotten lost in the shuffle. And that would be the millions and millions of children who have been killed in the name of relativism. I want to clarify there are people who are speaking out. We see them on sort of sites that are suppressed, and they certainly don't get play on any modern main media. And probably like the Cassandras of the past and the prophets of the past, they are laughed at as they decry what is happening and try to say stop, but they must carry on because individual souls are at stake my soul, your soul. All I can say is, bring back the men with chests. Well, that ends my second effort at the very same podcast. I think the first one was better, quite frankly, but at eight o'clock on a Friday, I'm getting tired, and tomorrow I have to be out the day that I will post it. So I did the best I could. Um, if you like this program, you should listen to it on, uh, let's see, Amazon, TuneIn, Audible, Spotify, Pandora. Those are the options you can tell people to listen to it on. And if you like it, I actually do have an Instagram page called St. Jin. Now, that's not because I am a saint. It's because I aspire to be a saint. And that also talks about some of the things related to ordinary old Catholic me, or at least I'm beginning to. I'm not on Facebook anymore, so I'm learning to adjust. I will hopefully see you next week.